0: If you're interested in what China's doing in Africa and the Global South, you're going to want to subscribe to the China-Africa Project. We've indexed every major news story going back years, and it's easily searchable by country, topic, or keyword. Plus, we're the only source for daily analysis on all of the big stories related to Chinese engagement in Africa and throughout the developing world. With a subscription, you'll enjoy full access to the site. Plus, you'll get our popular daily email newsletter that comes out every morning at 6 a.m. Washington time. Subscriptions start at just $7 a month for students and teachers and $15 a month for everyone else. To sign up, just go to ChinaAfricaProject.com slash subscribe. Once again, that's ChinaAfricaProject.com slash subscribe. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. A proud member of the Seneca Network from sub-China, I'm Eric Olander. And as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden, the senior China-Africa researcher at the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, it has been a very long time, too long. In fact, I think we've been negligent altogether in covering environmental and sustainability stories. We've kind of been so focused on politics and economics and trade and FOCAC that we took our eye off the ball on a lot of the pressing environmental issues that are going on in the China-Africa relationship. And the show that we're going to do today, and we were just talking about this before, and I feel like we've done six, seven, 10 times before over the course of this podcast. For those of you who are longtime listeners, please do not turn off right now. It is a fascinating topic, (laughs) but it is a story that keeps repeating itself and keeps persisting despite all of the wonderful flowery rhetoric that we hear from the Chinese side and the African side, by the way, at venues like Focac. So we're gonna talk about the illegal timber trade today. And if that sounds familiar to you, we have done multiple shows on this very topic about rosewood from Gambia, from Zambia, as well as the Democratic Republic of Congo. Go through the archives. You can see those. Today, we're going to talk about Cameroon, Nigeria, and the rosewood trade that goes off to China. But I just want to reference some of the rhetoric, again, that we've heard from the Chinese side and, again, the African side, too. This is a joint declarations that come out of FOCAC. And to measure the rhetoric versus the reality— So Section 3.5.6 of the 2018 FOCAC Action Plan. FOCAC, of course, is the Forum on China-Africa Cooperation. That is the triennial gathering of Chinese and African countries, leaders, ministers, you name it. They all get together every three years and they pen out, here is our plan. So in 2018, they said, and I'm going to quote here, China supports Africa in the capacity building of maritime law enforcement and environment protection to ensure the security of maritime resources and promote maritime development and cooperation and the promotion of sustainable approaches that are environmentally, socially, and economically effective through the blue economy. The point that I'm bringing up today in that statement from section 3.5.6, so obviously it has nothing to do with timber, but it shows you that they— put down this really wonderful rainbow promises on sustainability and environmental protection. And yet, we know that since 2018, nothing has been done on either the Chinese or the Ghanaian or the Nigerian side to combat illegal fishing in the Gulf of Guinea and elsewhere in Africa. So with that in mind, I want to bring you to the FOCAC's action plan from last year. And this is from the Declaration on China-Africa Cooperation on Combating Climate Change. So for the first time, they actually broke out a separate document just on climate change. Okay. So they wrote, we recognize the important role of forests in the Congo Basin in the fight against climate change. A revolution is needed in the human society to mitigate the impact of climate change. Those are very, very strong words. And yet, keep that in mind when we go back through some of the environmental investigations that have happened over the past four, five, six, seven years. The EIA noted that most of the billion dollars of timber that's exported from Nigeria is illegal. A lot of that finds its way to China. In Zambia, the EIA found that former President Edgar Lungu and his daughter and several ministers were, quote, central figures to the illicit network of rosewood exports to China, And the EIA also found that rosewood is now nearly extinct in the Gambia, due largely to the felling of 1.6 million trees between 2012 and 2020. So, Cobus, this is a really frustrating story to follow, simply because we hear the flowery rhetoric, we hear all of the promises, and yet the story remains the same, at least in the dozen years that you and I have been covering this.
1: Yes, you know, if you look at the rhetoric alone, then you see then you see the best side of both. You know, kind of like China and Africa, they're going to be working together. They're going to like each bringing its side. You know, blah 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 blah. When you look at the reality, you see the worst of each side. You know, kind of just like endless, endless kind of demand for these 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 uh, commodities, no matter what the environmental price on the Chinese side, and endless corruption on the African side, just ready to supply whoever's ready to pay.
0: Well, the story we want to bring you today is about how Rosewood is stolen in Cameroon, laundered then in Nigeria, and exported to China. It was a report that was written by Christian Loka, who is an award-winning freelance journalist and founder of the Museba Project, a training and news organization based in Douala, Cameroon. His reporting focuses on the dangerous work of exposing corruption, illicit finances, human rights abuses, and organized crime. Christian, a very good afternoon and thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations on the report. Thank
2: you, Eric. Thank you, Kobus. Happy to be
0: here. It's wonderful to have you on the program and to hear more about some of the reporting that you did for this fascinating story. We're going to put links to the story in the show notes. Uh, but let's go ahead and, and start with just an overview of what you found about the illicit trade from Cameroon to Nigeria and ultimately to, to China. Tell us, give us the, the headline of what you found and what motivated you to do this investigation.
2: Of course, I'm interested in environmental issues for for a while now, mostly forest. I've, I've done support on timber rotation, timber trafficking for the eastern region of Cameroon. And I got a tip from a a source in the northern part of Cameroon explaining that there is a type of wood that is taken to Nigeria illegally and uh, I need to to come closer to to see what is happening. And when I I traveled to, to the area, I, I noted that it was uh, Rosewood. And uh, I gathered some, through the preliminary research, I gathered some information. And uh, while I was searching to, to get more information, more details about this traffic, I went to the net and got the, the report from EIA about the Rosewood uh, traffic in Nigeria. Uh, in the report, they mentioned that uh, some some timber probably come from neighboring countries, but they did not uh, go far. So uh, it is from there that uh, all started. I said, that okay, let me find uh, out more. Let me dig deeper to see exactly what is happening.
1: And uh, that is how I started the, the investigation. You, you mentioned that the that the problem is happening both in Cameroon and in Nigeria so I was wondering if you could explain to us you know kind of so the the the, the logs are, are cut in 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 Cameroon but then they exported from Nigeria like how, how does that that process work
2: okay so uh, the problem is that Nigeria as I, I mentioned in the, the story traffickers enter the forest they cut uh, logs. To, to take it to China, until when they noted that uh, there are more and more few logs timbers in the forest, and so they need to get more uh, rosewood. And uh, that's how they started they, they started, inter, uh, they started to, to, to enter Cameroon forest, to illegally cut this uh, rosewood. Also, I noted from Cameroon, um, from various villages that I, I, I went I noticed that they they just came, traffickers come, they give some uh, money to uh, traditional rulers or even forest guards. They give them some money, they they cut rosewoods, and then they take it to Nigeria. Once they come to Nigeria, they give, they bribe also uh, uh, authorities, officials in Nigeria, so that they give them documents showing that this rosewood was cut in Nigeria instead of Cameroon. So they, they launder it like that, and then they can now take it to, to Lagos, to the port, to China. So that is the, 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 the process. That's the main road that they, they take from Cameroon illegally. For instance, they, give, they can give up to $9, $10 to cut several t- logs in Cameroon, but once they reach Nigeria, uh, the same log that they, they used to, to, to get with 9 or $10, it is about $15,000 that they sell it to, to Chinese to take it to, to, to China. So this is how things happen from the border.
0: And who exactly are the traffickers? Are these small-scale operators or are these vast criminal networks? Who are they?
2: They are well-organized because I got in touch with the men, the, the, the person who is like a, the president or the chief person of uh, the organization of these uh, wood cutters. So they are well organized. Uh, some go to the bush, go do to the forest they court they bring like intermediaries like middlemen and uh, they give the, the log to uh, traffickers who are very rich who can gather, this uh, log and take it to Nigeria. So they are well organized. Those who enter Cameroon to cut they, they don't have enough money, they are poor, so they give them some money to go to Cameroon to bribe and to cut. The main traffickers, they, those who are powerful, uh, they don't come to Cameroon, they stay in Nigeria. So they send some guys in the forest in Cameroon to bribe. And then they they use sometimes their their phone to call officials in Cameroon, to call uh, traditional allies in Cameroon to to convince them that uh, this is uh, simple. They just take money and give uh, access to the forest.
0: So these are Nigerian syndicates, not Cameroonian or Chinese, right? Just to be clear.
1: Yeah, no, Nigerian syndicate. Can you talk a little bit about the role of corruption? So you, you mentioned that bribing, you know, kind of forestry officials and bribing border guards is a really important part of this job. So yeah, to talk a little bit about about the role of corruption in this in this process.
2: Uh, in fact, you know, Nigeria and Cameroon uh, are both countries that, are, in terms of corruption, they are among the the most corrupt countries in the in the world. We all know that. In the field, what is happening is that. Uh, the state of Cameroon is not getting that money because forest guards are those who take this money uh, for their own. It is not for the for the, for the government, and it is simple. You know, most of forest guards they don't know know the quality of the rosewood. They don't know that this is what is happening with with this wood rosewood. How, how they take it from Cameroon forest to China? What is how um, uh, this is the next level of this timber. So, as in the area, there is no industrial exploitation of rosewood. Uh, so, rosewood is cut for like a firewood in, in the areas. So, it is easy for them to just take their money, they bribe them, they can give them some money, and then they are allowed traffickers to to, to, to get access to the forest. Also traditional rulers, because you cannot come and enter the forest without authorization from these people. So when they give them some money, they think that they have a lot of money. That is the problem. For instance, you have a forest guard who earn about 15,000 safer, that is the local currency, let's say uh, less than $200. And then when they come, and they tell him, they they explain, the trafficker come and say, okay, for this wood, we'll give you $500. Uh, he thinks that he has a lot of money, as he boasts, he had a lot of money, and uh, he allowed them to, to cut wood. He doesn't know that, after cutting the wood, the guy, the trafficker will have more than, less say, this amount times 10 or times 20. So this is how corruption is involved in the, the, the process.
0: So the rosewood logs are cut in Cameroon, smuggled over the border because of the corruption that you talked about. They're then laundered in Nigeria as Nigerian timber. As far as you know, do the Chinese buyers know that they are buying illegal timber or do they think they're buying legitimate timber?
2: The question is really important. They know, they don't know. What I noted in the is that Chinese don't care about the origin of rosewood. What interests them is to get their logs. If you tell them that I caught this in Cameroon, I did not ask you if you did it legally or not what interested is the product.
1: Since you know, since, since the last two or three years, um, Rosewood has has come under CITES protection. Um, so the 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 UN um, agency looking of you know trying to to stop the the trade in, in endangered species, similar to you know kind of the, the 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 organs you know trying to control the ivory trade, for example. Um, have you has has this CITES protection had any impact on this on this trade at all?
2: I don't think so because. For instance, for years now, scientists is aware that Nigeria is a main, a main actor of rosewood smuggling, rosewood uh, trafficking, but I don't see nothing happen to, to Nigeria up to now. Nothing significant happen to, to Nigeria up to, up to now. So uh, even in Cameroon, they know, they know that the, the Nigeria traffickers can go out of Nigeria to cut laws, but I don't think sites have done a lot in terms of controlling or sanctioning. I don't think so.
0: I'm going to ask you a question now that you may not be able to answer, but I'll put it down anyway. As I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, this illegal rosewood trade is not unique to Cameroon or Nigeria. It's going on in Gabon, in the Gambia, in the DRC, as well as in Zambia, among other countries. Do you know if the situation in Cameroon is more severe than what is going on in other countries in the region?
2: I don't know for, for others. I know in, Ga- in Gambia and so on, but it is the same process and um, the same locals. We have locals who help us for this uh, illegal trade. In terms of quantity, I think in Cameroon, Cameroon, there is not a lot of logs that left Cameroon to Nigeria in this process. And that's why it is important to to investigate and publish this story so that maybe authorities can, can do something. And the main problem here is that I think there is no industrial exploitation in the northern part of Cameroon. We have it in the eastern part and the south and so, but not in either in the northern part. Because with industrial exploitation, we have uh, companies that get their permit and go to the forest to cut logs. But since there is nothing like that in the area, uh, we have locals who go to the bush, who to the forest to cut this wood for firewood, to use it for, for domestic uh, use only. So it is easy for traffickers to, to come to enter day or night and cut uh, look, so I think the problem is uh, Cameroon that because when I have this uh, interview with a local forest uh, forestry official, he explained they don't have t- uh, figures on quantities, but I think the phenomenon we still have lot of logs of timber of uh, rosewood in, in the forest, but it was very important to to say that to to to, to expose this situation so that authorities can take the uh, major sanction they can prevent this situation to,
1: to keep happening. In the article you mentioned that some of the local communities are starting to, to kind of crack down on these kind of illegal illegal loggers. Um, can you talk a little bit about about that development and, and their involvement?
2: The situation is that we don't have enough forest guards to control the borders. And with the complicity of traditional rulers, if you don't cooperate with them, as the the, the official told me, if you don't cooperate with your locals, it will be very difficult to to stop this situation, this uh, smuggling activity. Uh, So that's why they, they decided to approach communities, local communities, to equip them, giving them some financial means and uh, equipment so that like a torch like bicycles and so I mean some th- some material so that they can easily go to the forest when there is a situation when they, they approach they see traffickers they just call the administration and then they send the police in the in the area. By doing that they want to involve communities as keepers of their forest, they want them that's this uh, sensitization they, they help them understand that this forest is their is a, like a legacy that they can use. If somebody else enter in the forest and cut this wood there is a consequence for the community and that's how these people are, are motivated.
1: What do you think it would take to stop this trade? Um, you know, do, do we need like, do, do, like what kind of action in China? What kind of action in Nigeria and Cameroon do you think should be taken?
2: Uh, first thing is that we need will will from the the countries involved. I think in China there is uh, laws that if put in place, if put in practice, can help exporters like uh, Nigeria or Cameroon to prevent uh, this situation. For instance, by making sure that the wood, the the, the log that they buy in Nigeria are from illegal uh, origin, but they are not doing enough in in that uh, field. And also in Nigeria, I'm aware that uh, corruption is widespread in, in Nigeria, like in Cameroon but if authorities really committed to prevent this smuggling activity i think they they, they, they can do something they can do something to prevent it but uh, i think it is because of corruption that it is why they, the business is still going on even in cameroon like in nigeria it is the same thing if now after the story cameroon decide to stop this smuggling activity they can do it but I don't know if there is will for that now. Uh, I think we what we need is will. We need officials that are committed to put an end, either in, in Cameroon, uh, Nigeria, or even in China. There is a problem of will to, to stop this uh, situation.
0: I think that's a, a great way of framing it. And I'm so glad that you brought up the question of law, because in 2019... China actually reformed its forestry law for the first time in 20 years, and it was a very big moment. There was a lot of expectation that China was finally going to get serious about cutting off the import of illegally sourced timber. And in fact, Article 65 of the law makes it clear that for the first time, no one should purchase, process, or transport illegally sourced timber. There it is in the Chinese forestry law and they are not enforcing their own laws. And what makes this so frustrating is that China and Chinese officials will tell you until you are blue in the face that they are a country ruled by law. That's what they will tell you over and over and over again and they have a law for absolutely everything. And yet they're highly selective on what laws they enforce and what laws they don't. And this is clearly A law that they don't enforce. So Christian, the next time you talk to somebody uh, from China who says, well, I don't know what we can do about it, hold up Article 65 of the forestry law and say, the burden is on you to enforce your (laughs) own laws. It's not on the Nigerians. It's not on the Cameroonians. Yes, they have an obligation themselves. But in terms of importing this timber, it should be turned away at the border. And the people doing the importing are violating the forestry law and should be punished accordingly. But they're not. Based on what you have told us, and what your investigation told you in in your reporting. Are you hopeful that anything will be done or can be done, given that poverty oftentimes is at the root of this problem, and given the fact that it's so easy to bribe officials and to bribe people in Cameroon and Nigeria, and clearly there's a lack of political will in China on this as well, is there any reason for optimism looking forward, or is this something where we're going to see a situation like in the Gambia where rosewood in Cameroon is basically going to be cut until the point of extinction.
2: Something should be done. Something should be done. But now, as I, I said, it uh, we need political will from the actors involved. China is aware that uh, this product gives us a lot of money. And uh, because we we take the, the, uh, rosewood from those countries and then we produce uh, luxury furniture to, to, to sell to others. It gives a lot of money to China. So in, on the other side, we have Cameroon, for instance, that is losing everything. Because for now, in terms of financial, uh, uh, I mean, state coffins, there's nothing, nothing state coffers. there's nothing for, for Cameroon up to now. In Nigeria, maybe there is something because, for instance, to launder the logs, they give some money to officials, to local government officials, so that they, they, they give them uh, documentation to, to continue the the trip to Lagos and China. But in Cameroon, there's nothing. We have nothing on this business. Nothing, absolutely nothing. What we have as money is what goes to the forest guard pocket. That's all. So Cameroon has a lot to do to prevent this situation because you are losing everything. Even in terms of uh, environmental, uh, when it, talk, it comes to the environment, we are also losing everything. So for the future, uh, how I see it, is there any change that can happen? Uh, I hope so. I hope so. And that is why I went to, I decided to investigate because I hope that if China, as a, a big country, powerful country, if China uh, wants to do uh, business illegally, at least knowing that this is how uh, corruption is already in Cameroon and Nigeria, China can do something. And if China, as the buyer, say okay, to buy, henceforth, to buy your log, I need to see, to get details about the origin. There will be change. But if China continue to close eyes and say, what I need is logs, it's product, just bring me products, I don't care, even if it's come from heaven or so, I don't care about the origin, things will not change because in the field, forest guards, they are not well paid. Uh, traditional rulers, they are most of the time they are poor population locals. So if you bring money and show them and say, "Okay, this is what I'm going to do," they will take it to 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 feed their families. So I think China can do something to change this situation. China, I think, because as a partner for those country, can do they can get the first move and then thing may change. But from other countries like Nigeria or Cameroon to say that they can stop doing it, it would be very difficult, but it is possible.
0: That's right. It makes a difference if we can find the will, and if the countries involved can find the will. And I'm hoping that people on all sides will hold these governments accountable again for the lofty, flowery, beautiful rhetoric that they put together when they get at uh, when they assemble at, at FOCAC and they come up with these wonderful statements. What Christian is telling us is that the reality on the ground is very different. The article is how rosewood is stolen in Cameroon, laundered in Nigeria, and exported to China. It's on multiple places across the web. We'll put a link to it on the Pulitzer Center website. It is a fascinating read. It should be viewed in the larger context of the work that the Environmental Investigation Agency has done, some of the work that the Africa-China Reporting Project has done. This is part of a much, much bigger story. Uh, Christian, thank you so much for joining us. Before we go, we also want to ask you about the Museba Project that you founded back in 2019 to do this kind of journalism. Tell everybody very quickly about the Museba Project and what you're trying to accomplish.
2: Okay, thank you. Uh, Museba Project is uh, a regional training and reporting project in Central Africa and the Great Lakes. So what we do is that we bring... Uh, in fact, we want to we encourage uh, investigative reporting in the in the region because we have noticed that that's not the the, the 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 reality on the ground for years now. So we want to to give them to give the opportunity to reporters in the region to come closer to work and then to to be interested in investigative reporting. So what we do is that first. We normally gather. We gather journalists. We call. We gather journalists. Journalists from various countries. During the seminar, they bring in uh, proposals, story proposal, and then we select. And then when we select, we give them uh, financial means so that they go to the field to to investigate. They do, so we train them. We give them financial means to investigate we mentor uh, we mentor them uh, till publication and when they publish we have major partners in various countries so that we have them uh, expand their, their their story everywhere so that is uh, msiba so that's what msiba is doing for since 2019
0: well you guys are doing fantastic work we really enjoyed the article if people want to follow what you and the Museba project are doing, what's the best way for them to get in touch?
2: Through the website www.demusebaproject.org Once in the website, they have the contact, the email contact, uh, the, 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 the email address contact at the and they even have some uh, WhatsApp numbers and so, so, so to, to get in touch.
0: Okay, I'll put a link to the Museba Project website in the show notes. Christian Locca, thank you so much for joining us from Douala today to talk about your fantastic reporting. We, we really appreciate it.
2: Thank you, thank you, thank you, Kobus, thank you.
0: Kobus, Christian made the point that it comes down to will. And I guess that's what worries me the most, is because... Over the years, we have not seen the will. We saw the will briefly on the ivory trade, which was very, very exciting from both Chinese and African stakeholders. But I have to say that since the ivory ban in, what was that, 2018, 2017, four or five years ago?
1: Yeah, I think 2017, I think.
0: Yeah, we have not seen any equivalent level of will when it comes to environmental issues in the China-Africa relationship. That, to me, was the high watermark. And I think in many ways that can serve as an example of what can be done, but it can also be a case point that says nothing has been done since then. And on the key issues of the blue maritime economy, which we are hearing over and over again about how we're emptying the oceans of fish, we are depriving people of protein and of their livelihoods. And here we are again and again in Central Africa, in the Congo Basin, in West Africa, seeing the trade of timber and the precious resources that China says it's willing to control. China says it has the laws on the book to do it, and right now is not doing it. So there's a lack of will on the Chinese side, and they need to be called out on this. And there's some people would contend that not all the countries are equal in this relationship, that because of China's Improved governance compared to, say, Cameroon and Nigeria, because China says it's a, nat- a nation of laws, because China has the resources to actually do things that the Nigerians and the Cameroonians don't, there is a higher expectation upon them than there is on others. That if they shut off the trade in donkey skins, if they shut off the trade in pangolins, if they shut off the trade in rosewood, there would be an improved situation on the ground in these countries, just as there was with ivory. They've shown it can be done, and yet they are negligent and they are awful for the fact that they're not doing more to enforce their own laws, Article 65 of the forestry law. So anybody who comes at me criticizing me, saying I'm being too hard on the Chinese for not enforcing their own laws, that's on them. That's their laws that they need to enforce. And to me, it's just ridiculous when you hear people like Christian saying that the buyers don't care because the buyers, the Chinese buyers, know there's no consequence. And that's the part that's insidious in all of this.
1: Yeah, it's it really is insidious. Um, you know, we... We know that, you know, that we know the kind of like fine grained level of control that Chinese authorities have. You know, kind of they have the time, for example, to edit out all of the lesbian storylines from the Friends sitcom, as we saw today, you know, but yet somehow they don't have the time to to enforce their laws on, you know, on on this particular kind of crucial issue. It really is. It really raises eyebrows, I think. Um, you know, and and uh, you can know, kind of what we also see is just this kind of corrosive, Im- Im, you know, kind of impact of, of small scale corruption in in African daily life. Um, you know, like I was, I, I happen to have been kind of unlucky enough to spend a chunk of today at at um, the. Uh, at a kind of municipal office um, where there's always very long queues in municipal offices in Johannesburg. And I, more than once, I heard people discussing around me how certain people kind of in, in the office system are willing to skip you along the queue if you, if you pay a little fee, you know? So, so those, that kind of system is pervasive throughout the entire continent. Um, and it just means that nothing works. It means that whatever law is set, there's always, it's like, it's trying to kind of to, to, you know, kind of to empty out a boat using a sieve. It's like there's, there's, you know, kind of the boat just keeps sinking. So it's really, really demoralizing.
0: You know, we've been having these conversations and we've been writing a lot lately about all of the phantoms and the ghosts that the Americans and the Europeans are chasing about the Chinese in Africa. So they keep going on about debt traps and predatory lending. Now the latest fad in Washington is that there's this fantasy base that the Chinese are supposedly making in Equatorial Guinea, and Molly Fee, the top U.S. American diplomat for Africa and a senior commander from AFRICOM, are now on their way to Equatorial Guinea to somehow try and exert pressure on the, on the Equatorial Guineans not to build or to allow the Chinese to build a base. My point here is that these are ghosts that they're chasing. Okay, they're going after things that really don't exist in the China-Africa relationship, because at this point so far, and I say this, that the Pentagon, despite their repeated statements on this issue, has failed to produce any evidence whatsoever. And the only statement that they're saying is our intelligence says this is true. So just trust us. And in the conversations that you hear uh, in Washington about the Chinese in Africa, it's on all these issues that are really key to them but not really priorities in Africa okay here we have an issue where the US can legitimately criticize Chinese policy behavior law enforcement and their actions in Africa and they say nothing nothing and this is the this is the problem by going after things that don't exist and that it, then not going after the problems that really do exist this is a vulnerability for the Chinese this is an area that, that China's critics can legitimately exploit and they fail to do so, because Mao Mali fee is spending three days on a flight going out to Equatorial Guinea, chasing some story that probably doesn't exist.
1: We're seeing exactly the same thing with uh, with illegal fishing. You know, as you mentioned, I saw reports recently saying that there's famine in parts of West Africa because of because of Chinese overfishing in those waters. Nothing, no, no, no word, no mention, nothing.
0: And they'll say it at some ocean conference. Okay, fine, but they don't make it core to their critique of the Chinese in Africa. And this is where the Chinese are vulnerable. You're absolutely right. Fishing is another one. Pangolin, tiger bone. I mean, we can go through the list on the on the wildlife trade that is still very very active. Yeah, and then And and by the way, not just in sorry, not just in Africa, but also here in Southeast Asia, it's also endemic as well. And a lot of what's coming from Africa is passing through countries like Malaysia and Vietnam on their way to China. So, there's a lot of room here for criticism that China's critics are not taking advantage of. You saw that, uh, that editorial we posted from Marco Rubio, the U.S. senator. I mean, it was just ridiculous how stupid it was, because it was, he was using examples from like 12 years ago, from the column mine shooting, you know, in Zambia. And yet there are these real world present day issues that are going unchecked.
1: Yeah. Completely ridiculous. ridiculous. And the 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 way that, that kind of African governments are so complicit in it is just bone chilling.
0: And they deserve criticism as absolutely. well. Absolutely. absolutely. And when they get up and go to these international forums and start complaining about the fact that they are the victims of a lot of US and European and Global North policies, one has to turn the mirror on themselves and say, what are you doing to combat corruption in your own countries? Because the Global North can pass all the rules and regulations that they want to combat trafficking and piracy and all these other things that will have an impact. But as you've pointed out on many occasions, a lot of it begins at home as well. So sadly, there is really enough accountability, blame, and culpability on this issue to go around for everyone. So I, unfortunately, I am not as optimistic as Christian is. I'm a little more skeptical that there's the will is going to be there. Because if we're counting on political will in Africa and China on these issues, they have not demonstrated it as far as I can see. Last comments to you.
1: Yeah, and then you know, kind of we're not even talking about the climate change aspect of this. You know, the the like as as Christian mentioned, like the well, one of the main reasons to keep these trees in the ground is to combat the, the creeping Sahara. You know, that, that is that is coming more like south and more and more south every year. Um and you know, so so the kind of The kind of impact that climate change is going to have on these kind of West African communities, I don't even want to think about that. Um, And, you know, these these kind of like reforestation and like very aggressive protection of these forests has to be central to everyone's climate change agendas. And the fact that it's not so far is like a shame on everyone.
0: Well, let's see, because for the first time at the FOCAT conference last year, they came out with a 10 point climate change declaration. What was it? uh, China-Africa Cooperation on Combating Climate Change. So they're on record that they want to do something about this. It's our job in the media, as constituents, as global citizens, because climate change has no borders, to hold these people accountable for that, that rhetoric and not just make it some lofty thing in that FOCAC is really all about some kind of reality show competition to get your infrastructure project funded. So that is what we need to really make sure is that they're held accountable to this rhetoric. Uh, According to Section 3.5.6 of the 2018 FOCEC Action Plan, uh, again, they did not live up to that rhetoric on the blue maritime economy. I think we have to do better at holding them to account in the 2021 uh, Combating Climate Change document that they did. Okay, let's leave the conversation there. You've heard us reference a number of occasions the fact that we're writing about this a lot. We are showcasing a lot of sustainability issues. We have a new partnership, by the way, with the Boston University Global Development Policy Center. They are writing a lot about sustainability issues. In fact, just this week, Uh, In their weekly column, they talked about coal and that the new pressures in the policymaking process is not declaring that we're going to end coal, but now how do you decommission a lot of these plants and unwind coal over the next 20 to 30 years? That's a huge policy challenge involving the Chinese and countries in the global south. That's the kind of reporting and commentary and insight that you're getting in our newsletter. We would love for you to join us, chinaafricaproject.com slash subscribe. Very small subscription fee. Uh, associated with that, just seven bucks a month for students and teachers, $15 a month for everybody else. Also, very quickly, we have this wonderful Patreon community of our listeners, and we're doing a special podcast this week just for our Patreon members to introduce them to our brand new Francophone Africa editor. Uh, Giraud, who is joining us, and he is working very hard right now at building our new French language website that will launch next month in March, and we are so excited. He also is going to have a podcast, by the way, so for you francophones out there, you're going to have uh, a dedicated uh, Projet Afrique Chine podcast en français, and that will be a whole lot of fun, and then the following month in April, Arabic speakers will have a brand new website just for them as well. We will not have a podcast in Arabic quite yet because we have not found a host. But we are planning to have one in 2022, so that will be very exciting. So lots of cool things happening with us at the China Africa Project. We'd love for you to join us either on Patreon or as a subscriber, and you can get full access to our website. Kobus and I will be back again next week with another episode of the show. We've got some great episodes lined up, some fantastic guests, so we hope you'll join us then. So for Kobus Finstaden, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening.
2: The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show. For more information about the China Africa Project, go to chinaafricaproject.com.